0: Warning Content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised yo. Screaming Chewing Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery, and it starts now. What up, what up? This is Chewy, and you're listening to the Screaming Chewy Show. So, what's up? How's your day going, huh? I don't know what day you're listening on, but today is Sunday, and man, I'm being so fucking lazy today. God, I don't feel like doing shit. It's cold, cloudy outside. I'm nice and warm in my fucking sweatpants. I haven't showered yet. It's like four thirty p.m. Yeah, lazy. I should be doing laundry. I should. I don't know. Maybe I'll wait till tomorrow. If anything, I'll just flip my underwear inside out. Boom, get an extra day out of them. Yeah. Life hacks. I should do a segment like that, right? Chewy's life hacks. No, I'm a fucking asshole. And people would probably really fucking do what I say. <laughs> Don't take me seriously, guys. <laughs> like, um, you know, I thought I saying a fucking life hack. Like, hey, you got nasal congestion? Well, here's a solution. You mix bleach and ammonia in a bucket. And with it, take deep breaths through your nose, it'll clear clear right out but don't fucking do that seriously, they'll make chlorine gas and you will die, no joke (laughs) so that's what I thought, you know, I'm like, no, I can't do life hacks, there's people that are stupid out there and they'll listen and do it and fucking die then their family sues me so no, don't do that guys (laughs) But I mean There are some funny troll hacks Right troll life hacks Like I seen one um Hey your ice cream Frozen and hard to scoop out Well put your spoon in the microwave For 30 seconds (laughs) It's a good way to fucking explode your microwave Fucking start a fire and shit Oh god (laughs) just fucking asshole shit i don't know if you guys ever listened to loveline uh it was a radio show back in the day 92.1 k a rock station here and but at night from like midnight to like two in the morning or some shit like that um dr drew right everybody knows dr drew and a co-host you know, it was Adam Corolla or it would change here and there, but it was always mainly Doctor Drew. People would call and ask sex questions, like, "Hey, my girlfriend's a little bit weird. She she's into having sex with dead people, so I have to pretend I'm dead for her to have sex with me," or just weird shit. Guys liked sounding. It was like this. I don't fully understand it. They get this like metal rod and shove it in their pee hole. like vibrate and they masturbate like that so fucking weird ass shit right i always wanted to call that station and just do a troll like but like act like i'm so serious you know like call them and say hey you know i I don't know why but this this one thing that really turns me on and it's the only way i could get off and they'll be like well what is it and i'll be like i get this paper clip and I straighten it out. And I stick it in my pee hole. And the other end of the paper clip, I stick it in the wild lit, And I get this amazing jolt that gives me euphoria all around my body. And I black out. <laughs> I don't know if it's just me actually losing consciousness or the lights in the house going out for a second. But that's how powerful it is. <laughs> It sounds dumb now that I think about it. But yeah, I always thought of calling to say some stupid ass shit like that. Anywho. Today's topic. Are you guys ready for some crazy ass action packed shit? Some WW2 fucking full out war government conspiracy shit. Yeah. So you ever heard of... uh, Battle of Los Angeles. Yeah. I'm not talking about the movie that came out like, I don't know, five years ago or some shit. Uh, I'm talking about the real Battle of Los Angeles. 1942. Oh, you never heard about it? Well, you're in for a treat. In the frantic weeks that followed the Pearl Harbor attack... Many Americans believed that enemy raids on the continental United States were imminent. On December 9, 1941, unsubstained reports of approaching aircraft had caused a minor invasion panic in New York City and set stockpiles tumbling on the West Coast. Inexperienced pilots on radar men had... Taken fishing boats, logs, and even whales for Japanese warships and submarines. Tensions were high and they only grew after US Secretary of War Henry Stimson warned that American cities should be prepared to accept occasional blows from enemy forces. Damn, gotta love occasion, occasional blows, right? <laughs> just a few days later on february 23rd 1942 a japanese submarine surfaced off the coast of santa barbara california and hurled over a dozen art- artillery shells at an oil field and refinery while the attack inflicted no casualties and caused only minor damage it marked the first time that the mainland united states had been bombed during World War II. The day after the oil field raid, paranoia and itchy trigger fingers combined to produce one of the most unusual home front incidents of the war. It began on the evening of February 24, 1942, when naval intelligence instructed units on the California coast to steal themselves from a potential Japanese attack. All remained calm for the next few hours, but shortly after 2 a.m. on February 25th, military radar picked up what appeared to be an enemy contact some 120 miles west of Los Angeles. Air raid sirens sounded and citywide blackout was put into effect. Within minutes, troops had manned anti aircraft guns and began sweeping the skies with searchlights. It has begun, everybody. It was just after 3 a.m. when the shooting started. Following reports of an unidentified object in the skies, troops in Santa Monica unleashed a barrage of anti-aircraft and 50 caliber machine gun fire. Before long, many of the city's other coastal defense weapons had joined in. Powerful searchlights from countless stations Stabbed the sky with brilliant probing fingers, the Los Angeles Times wrote, while anti-aircraft batteries dotted the heavens with beautiful, if sinister, orange bursts of shrapnel. Chaos reigned over the next several minutes. It appeared that Los Angeles was under attack. Yet many of those who looked skyward saw nothing but smoke and the glare of ack-ack fire. Imagination could have easily disclosed many shapes in the sky in the midst of weird symphony of noise and color. Coastal artillery corps Colonel John G. Murphy later wrote, but could detach, disclose no planes of any type in the sky, friendly or enemy. For others, however, the threat appeared to be very real. Reports poured in from across the city, describing Japanese aircraft flying in formation, bombs falling, and enemy paratroopers. There was even a claim of Japanese plane crash landing in streets of Hollywood. I could barely see the planes, but they were up there all right. A coastal artilleryman named Charles Patrick later later wrote in a letter, I could see six planes and shells were bursting all around them. Naturally, naturally, all of us fellas were anxious to get our two cents worth in. When the command came, everybody cheered like the son of a gun. The barrage eventually continued for over an hour. By the time a final all clear order was given later that morning, Los Angeles artillery batteries had pumped over 1,400 rounds of anti-aircraft ammunition into the sky. Yeah, with good old tax dollars, right? It was only in the light of the day that the American military units made a puzzling discovery. There appeared to have been no enemy attack. although reports were conflicting and every effort is being made to... Asserting the facts, it is clear that no bombs were dropped, no planes were shot down, read a statement from the Army's Western Defense Command. Ironically, the only damage during the battle had come from friendly fire. Anti-aircraft shrapnel rained down across the city, shattering windows and ripping through buildings. One dud careened into a Long Beach golf course, and several red- residents had their homes partially destroyed by three-inch artillery shells. While there were no serious injuries from the shootout, it was reported that at least five people had died as a result of heart attacks and car accidents that accor- occurred during the extant blackout. In a preview of hysteria that it would soon accompany the Japanese interment authorities, also arrested some 20 Japanese-Americans for allegedly trying to signal the non existent aircraft. (laughs) Over here, over here, shoot here. That was racist, my bad. Over the next few days, government and media outlets issued contradictory reports on what later became known as the Battle of Los Angeles. Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox dismissed the firefight as a false alarm brought on by jittery nerves. But Secretary of War Henry Stimson echoed Army brass in saying that at least 15 planes had buzzed the city. He even advanced the provocative theory that the Phantom fires might have been commercial aircraft operated by enemy agents. Hoping to strike fear into the public, Stimson later backpedaled his claims. But there was still the matter of the thousands of military personnel and civilians who have claimed to have seen aircraft in the skies over L.A. According to an editorial in the New York Times, some eyewitnesses had spied a big floating object resembling a balloon while others had spotted anywhere from one plane to several dozen the more the whole incident of the early morning of february 25th in los angeles district is examined the article read the more incredible it becomes what caused the shootout over los angeles the japanese military later claimed they had never flown aircraft over the city during world war ii providing fuel for a host of bizarre theories involving government conspiracies and visits by flying saucers and extraterrestrials. Still, the most logical explanation for the firefight is that trigger-happy servicemen and rudimentary radar systems combined to produce a false alarm. In 1983, the Office of Air Force History outlined the events of LA air raid and noted that meteorological balloons had been released prior to the barrage to help determine wind conditions. Their lights and silver color could have been what first triggered the alerts. Once the shootout began, the disorienting combination of searchlights, smoke, an anti aircraft flak might have been might have led gunners to believe they were fighting on enemy planes even though none were actually present. So many eyewitnesses right they're all saying they have seen multiple planes or balloon shaped fucking aircrafts. Well, if it was um fuck what's it called man? God damn it like a zeppelin type right air balloon technically it is an aircraft right but uh yeah many people witnessed that and um but hey adrenaline fuel you know fucking craze you know fuck with your memory your memory is not very reliable but who's to say they didn't see anything i just think it's kind of weird that uh there's no planes actually shot down right ...that we know of, right? It's a little weird... ...but I think the weirdest thing is that... ...this happened in 1942... ...and in 1983... ...fucking what, 20 years later... ...the government admits... ...there was actually aircrafts... ...in the fucking sky... ...or not aircrafts, but a... ...quote-unquote... ...meteorological balloons, right? ...silver with lights... That's according to the government (laughs) what it was. Anywho, back to the subject. While it's likely that the Battle of Los Angeles was only a mirage, it was still a chilling reminder of the vulnerability that many Americans felt at the beginning of World War II. The Japanese would later hatch several schemes to attack the American mainland, including launching over nine thousand explosive landing fire balloons, yet none of them ever produced the level of mass hysteria that accompanied the phantom shootout over Los Angeles. Even at the time, many journalists noted that it was fighting that it was fighting that the incident had taken place in the home of the film industry. In an article from March 1942, the New York Times wrote that as the world's permanent fabricator of make-believe, Hollywood appeared to have played host to a battle that was just another illusion. Huh? So what do you guys think, huh? Think all that uh, was aliens? So, all in all, all that was pretty interesting. But here's a couple more things, right? The panic in Los Angeles was caused when a number of witnesses reportedly sighted a large round object in the skies over Culver City and Santa Monica, both neighborhoods on the west side of town and closer to the Pacific Ocean. The object was barraged with more than 1,400 shells, from anti-aircraft guns with no visible effect until it eventually drifted leisurely south towards Long Beach and vanished from view. Most reports described it as a large, pale orange in color and glowing. Uh-huh. If that don't say UFO, I don't know what the fuck does. <laughs> but that's a couple more theories. Very interesting. See, uh, after shortly after the alarm, speculation ran rampant as to its cause. Some people suggested that the Japanese were launching planes from a secret base in Mexico, while others theorized that they had developed a submarine capable of carrying aircraft. It was even suggested that the event had been staged in order to convince defense companies located near the coast to move their operations further inland and also let's not forget that the military could not keep its story straight remember while the army's western defense command in san francisco initially attributed the incident to a unident- unidentified planes over southern california the secretary of the navy said that the event was result of war nerves quote unquote and false false alarm it wasn't until 1983, more than 40 years later, that the military concluded that the incident was possibly caused by a drifting weather balloon. Uh huh. So, although many eyewitnesses reported seeing a single, large, unidentified object over LA, a number of others also reported spotting anywhere from 25 to 200 planes swarming all over the metropolitan area, but not a single bomb was dropped, not a single enemy fighter was brought down, the round object itself was never recovered or seen again. Despite the official explanation, no real answer to what or who started the Battle of Los Angeles has ever been found. What do you think? What's this? Was this a case of itchy trigger fingers and wandering balloons or... Were there aliens checking us out, probing us, right? We thought we were probing them with bull- bullets, right? Probing the sky. But what if they were just checking us out, checking our defense, right? <laughs> and then they just laughed and took off. They're like, these guys ain't doing shit, yo. And, um, huh? I mean, could be, right? But then again, there's also many reports of them being friendly yeah i don't know if you guys heard but there's been many reports of nuclear plants that have been shut down yeah almost like a an emp and in those same hours or same area there's been sightings of ufos in the sky so coincidence right almost like you know people theorize that they're trying to stop us from blowing the whole planet up which makes sense but uh i mean in conclusion what really happened there 1942 battle of la nobody really fucking knows it's still a fucking mystery so your guess is just as good as mine Hey everyone, let's take a little break here, right? Getting pretty crazy with aliens and government, oh yeah. How about a badass fucking metal song? Yeah, it's that time. Check out band Hands of Attrition, and here's their song, They Come at Night. so that's it Uh, that's the end of the episode yeah right psych people still say that psych um yeah I'm not gonna end it there come on man season one at the end of it I promised I'd be giving more content longer episodes while I'm delivering you okay and I know what you're thinking that was very interesting Yeah, but now you're wondering UFOs around nuclear facilities, shutting them down. What the hell what's going on with that? Okay, I'll get into it. I'll explain it. I ain't going to leave you hanging like that. But first, I'd like to give a big shout out to this podcast. I really listen to a lot. I really do. I'm a big fan. It's called My Alien Life. Yes, good stuff. Very interesting, man. You'll hear people, <clears throat> um, guests on their, um, you know, talk about they were in the Air Force and Area Fifty One and what kind of stuff they saw happen, and yeah, very crazy stuff. If you like UFOs, supernatural, you will love this podcast. And I guest started it, yeah. So, uh, one of the recent episodes you'll see Screaming Chewy on there. So yeah, check out My Alien Life available um pretty much anywhere you can find your favorite podcast or My Alien Life Doc. Alright, so why are there so many UFOs being reported near nuclear facilities, huh? And why isn't there more urgency on the part of government to assess their potential national security threat? You would think, right? Well, Those questions are being asked by a team of high-ranking former U.S. defense and intelligence officials, aerospace industry veterans, Uh, academics, and others associated with To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. The team has been investigating a wide range of these sightings and advocating more serious government attention. Their investigations are the subject of history's limited series, Unidentified. Eh? Love History Channel. Throughout history, unexplained aerial phenomena, UAPs, have shocked, frightened, and fascinated sky watchers. And in the last century, more than a few have been reported in military context. In late World War II, there we go again, right? U.S. Airmen called them Foo Fighters. Uh Uh-huh, all makes sense, right? The bad Foo Fighters? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, I just made that up. (laughs) Strange orange flying lights by the French-German border. During the Korean War, some soldiers claimed a blue-green light emitting pulsing rays made their whole battalion sick with what to some resembled radiation poisoning. Less known in the last 75 years, high ranking U.S. military and intelligence personnel have also reported UAPs near sites associated with nuclear power, weaponry, and technology from the early atomic bomb development and test sites to active nuclear naval fleets. All of the nuclear facilities, Los Alamos, Livermore, Sandia, Savannah River, All these had traumatic incidents where these unknown craft appeared over the facilities and nobody knew where they were from or what they were doing there, says the investigative journalist George Knapp. Knapp? I don't know. (laughs) George Knapp? It's called Knapp, right? K is silent, like no. Anywho who has studied the UAP nuclear connection for more than 30 years. Nap has gathered documentation by filming Freedom of Information Act request to the Departments of Defense and Energy. There seems to be a lot of correlation there, says Lou Elizondo who from 2007 to 2012 served as a director of a covert team of UAP researchers operating inside the Department of Defense. The program called Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program AATIP, received $22 million of the Pentagon's $600 billion budget in 2012. The New York Times reported Elizondo now helps lead the to the stars investigations. <clears throat> so uh, there's a little connection here right, a coincidence as you might say. The UFO nuclear connection began at the dawn of the atomic age. Uh-huh. Weird, right? Gets even weirder. Nuclear adjacent sightings go back decades says Robert Hastings, a UFO researcher and author of the book UFOs and Nukes, Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapon Sites. Hastings says he's interviewed more than 160 veterans who have witnessed strange things in the skies or on nuclear sites. You have objects being tracked on radar, performing at speeds that no object on Earth can perform. Hastings says... You have eyewitnesses, military personnel. You have jet pilots. Witnesses to these incidents are often highly trained personnel with top security clearances. In recent years, the reports are being corroborated by sophisticated technology. In late 1948, green fireballs were reported in the skies near atomic laboratories in Los Alamos and Sandia. New Mexico, where the atomic bomb was first developed and tested. A declassified FBI document from 1950 mentions flying saucers, measuring almost 50 feet in diameter near the Los Alamos labs, and Knapp has interviewed more than a dozen workers from the Nevada desert atomic test site where scores of A-bombs were de- detonated in post-WW2 years. He says they told him UFO activity was so com- commonplace there, employees were assigned to monitor the activity. In the 1960s and 70s, repeated UFO sightings emerged at Malmstrong Air Force Base in Montana. A storage site for nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, at one such alleged sighting in 1967. Former Air Force Captain Robert Sala says several of those missiles became inoperative at the same time base security reported seeing a glowing red object about 30 feet in diameter hovering over the facility. Salis, who commanded ICBMs as a launch officer and later worked in the aerospace industry and at the Federal Aviation Administration, told CNN the missiles began going into what's called a no-go condition or unlaunchable. Observers can only speculate about the origin of these unexplained phenomena, but the repeated proximity to sensitivity defense sites connected to our nation's most powerful weapons has raised the question of whether they might originate from adversaries known or unknown. Yeah. So these ready to go nuclear tip missiles are going bad or unlaunchable at the same time UFOs are being sighted around that area. Mm hmm. Pretty crazy, right? So question is is the ufos trying to keep us from blowing each other up and fucking up the earth or is it an enemy right fucking somebody in china or russia you know fucking got this technology that is able to fuck up our nuclear missiles right we can't fight back maybe we'll find out let's get deeper into this right In late December 1980, air traffic controllers encountered something alarming near Royal Air Force Bentwaters in England, used by the U.S. Air Force as a European foothold during the Cold War. Bentwaters housed a secret stash of nuclear weapons in 25-45 underground bunkers. We looked up on on the radar scope and saw something, not like anything I'd seen before. Ivan Barker, a U.S. Air Force air traffic control working that night, told (coughs) History.com. Which is where I'm reading this from, by the way. So credit to History.com. Barker, a master sergeant who was second in charge at the facility, says he was an 18-year-old veteran at the point and knew about every aircraft in the U.S., NATO, and the Soviet bloc. This object, he says, shocked him and his two colleagues that night with its remarkable speed and maneuverability. On radar, it covered 120 miles in a matter of seconds. He said it had to be moving Mach 5, 6, 7, or 8 faster than anything other than possibly a missile. As he looked up at, from the radar to view it directly, the craft moved into close range, slowed, and then stopped over the base's water tower like a helicopter hovering. Except with a helicopter, you get movement up and down. This was stationary. It was between 1,500 and 2,000 feet high. The thing was at least a city block in diameter. Barker says it was shaped like a giant basketball with portholes around the center from which lights were emanating outward. I was shocked. There was nothing aerodynamic about it. Basketballs don't fly. Oh, I was going to say a Kobe joke, but no, hold back to That's fucked up. (laughs) Too soon, man. Too soon. It stopped over the water tower for only a few seconds, he said, before reversing course and speeding back the way it came in. It was like, swish, it's gone. (laughs) Again, hold back, Chewie. Refrain yourself. (laughs) Oh, God. Why, why, why? Anywho, let's just continue here. Barker didn't report the sighting to to his superiors. You don't understand what the Air Force did to people who reported UFOs, he says. Barker's story dovetails with that of... Um, Colonel Charles Holt, Charles Ben Waters deputy commander at the time, Halt led a patrol that night to investigate strange colorful lights seen descending into nearby Rendisham Forest. Holt described to Elizondo what he saw from inside the forest, a red light moving horizontally through the trees. Obviously, under some kind of intelligent control, a laser-like beam, he said, landed 10, 15 feet away from us. It was literally I was literally in shock. Then the beam source quickly left, flying north toward the base, says Halt, who audiotaped the incident at the time. We could hear the chatter on the radios that the beams went down in the weapon storage area. Later, his commander played the audio for a general who dismissed the need for further investigation. They were loath to get involved, says HALT. In recent years, sightings of unidentified aerial phenomena have emerged from America's nuclear navy. F-18 fighter pilots from the nuclear-powered USS Theodore Roosevelt Carrier Strike Group saw UAPs almost daily for several months between the summer of 2014 and the spring of 2015, while executing training maneuvers along the eastern seaboard between Virginia and Florida, witnesses told Elizondo. Wherever we were, they were there, says Ryan Graves, an active duty F-18 fighter pilot from the USS Roosevelt who holds a degree in aerospace engineering. The objects appeared in three shapes, Grave says. Some were disks, others looked like a cube inside a sphere, or sphere, my bad. While smaller round objects flew together in formation, all lacked visible engines or exhaust systems. Some tilted mid-flight like spinning tops, as seen on an infrared video released by the U.S. Department of defense in 2017. Graves and another F-18 pilot, Danny Acoin, confirmed that video, along with one other, other released by the government, had been shot by their fellow Roosevelt pilots while in the air. One UAP, Graves says, almost caused a terrifying collision by zipping dangerously between two planes. An aviation flight safety report was filed He says, but never investigated. Graves says that unidentified objects reappeared once the Roosevelt had deployed to its mission in the Persian Gulf. It's hard to find a prosaic explanation for a carrier battle group being shadowed by an unidentified aircraft all the way across the Atlantic. Yeah, what the fuck? To an area of operations overseas in the Middle East says Chris, Chris Mellon, former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence during the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations, W, mm-hmm. who now serve as an integral part of the To the Stars team and makes an extremely compelling case for the existence of technologies we didn't think were possible. Leon Golub, a senior Astrophysicist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center of Astrophysics told the New York Times, there may indeed be several low-probability prosaic explanations for the Roosevelt sightings. They include bugs in the radar's code for the imaging and display systems, atmospheric effects and reflections, and neurological overload from multiple inputs during high-speed flight. Still, the Roosevelt report echoed those made by Navy pilots undergoing training, exercises, and other side of the country. In November 2004, pilots and radar operators from the USS Nimitz carrier fleet saw a 40-foot long tic-tac-shaped object flying just above the ocean while flying 100 miles off the coast of California near San Diego. When F-18 fighter jets were scrambled to approach the object, it accelerated, easily outrunning the supersonic Navy craft. Uh Uh-huh. The fuck, right? Glitches. My ass, yo. Nice try, government. (laughs) Just kidding. Whereas earlier reports were career killers for military personnel. There is an increasing openness in the Pentagon on Capitol Hill to taking these sightings seriously as a potential threats. In April 2019, the US Navy announced that it was updating its guidelines for how pilots and personnel should report unexplained aerial phenomena, making it easier for military members to report sightings to superiors without facing professional stigma and backlash. And Congress, beginning with former Senate Majority Leader, Harry Reid, has taken more interest in being briefed. George Knapp says that that that's more activity than he has seen in three decades. He and many others think it's overdue. Fuck yeah it is, I agree. I concur. At the facilities where... We were first designed and building nuclear weapons at the places where we were processing the fuel, at the facilities where we were testing the weapons, at the bases where we deployed those weapons on the ships, the nuclear submarines. All those places, all the people working there have seen these things, Knapp says. Are they all crazy? He continued, because if they are, they shouldn't have had their hands on nuclear weapons. Damn. Yeah. What the fuck, right? I completely agree. If all these people are hallucinating, it should be our meds. They probably shouldn't be working on that kind of stuff, right? Uh-huh. So, there you have it, folks. A real-life incident where our military or government might have been in a shootout with a UFO maybe right the truth is we'll never know the truth but the fact that there's UAPs UFOs fucking with nuclear power plants or um, not nuclear power plants but nuclear facilities right making and testing bombs weapons the aliens are messing with all of that or UFOs right, so, that you can't deny, there's too much proof out there, too many witnesses, and, um, yeah, by the way, just so you guys know, the Foo Fighters, the band, (laughs) I just made that up, right, they're not involved with the military and the fucking UFOs and shit, but maybe they are, right, are the Foo Fighters that band, are they believers, That would be interesting to know. (laughs) But hey. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate that. I really do. And if you'd like to donate and help. uh, There's a monthly subscription. I believe like a dollar a month. There's like five dollar a month. Whatever. Uh, And you can find me on Anchor. anchor Anchor.com or the app. Uh, Yeah. If you want to. Follow me on Facebook, Screaming Chewy Show, and check out my YouTube, Yo. I've been pumping out more videos, more good stuff. Yes, it's just gonna get better and better. I promise. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, you can always email me at screamingchewy at gmail, gmail dot com, or send me a message on my Facebook. Um, and yeah. I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and uh, thanks for listening. Later. Hey, if you really enjoyed the amazing band I played on this episode, check out Hands of Attrition. Attrition is A-T-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. Check out their Facebook, their YouTube, same name, Hands of Attrition. You can also find their music on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon. Check these guys out. And I'm going to end this episode with another one of their amazing songs. This one is called I'm Gone. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find me at anchor.fm/slash screaming Chewy Gmail.com. There'll be three options for a monthly subscription. First one, I believe, starts at a dollar a month, yo. Yeah, dollar a month. Yeah, and if you don't want to, that's cool. You can follow me on Facebook and YouTube, Screaming Chewy Show, for some memes, some more videos, full episodes. And behind-the-scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy, so I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.